What's going on, people? Welcome to this week's episode of But I Digress. As always, I am your solo host, Warren, also known as Chris. And today on the podcast, we're going to talk about the newly released live-action version of Lion King, uh, if we can call it live-action, of course. Um, Marvel announcements that were made at San Diego Comic-Con, some issues in Pennsylvania related to school lunch debts, and some interesting things happening with the Face app. Uh, But before we get started, as always, let's start with today in history. Going back quite a while, in 1534, we had Jacques Carter land in Canada and claim it for France, um, which is one of those early colonialisms that actually stuck, where France was able to hold on to Canada for a while, and now we have many Canadians who also speak French. In 1824, we had the Harrisburg, Pennsylvania newspaper publish the first public opinion poll uh, with a clear lead for Andrew Jackson, who would go on to become president about five years later. In 1911, Hiram Bingham, uh, an American archaeologist and anthropologist, uh, discovered the ruins of Machu Picchu, a city that up till then had been thought to be lost. Some people even thought that it didn't exist, um, but he was able to find the ruins of Machu Picchu, and now people visit them all the time. In 1975, we had Giorgio Armani and Sergio Gaioletti found Giorgio Armani in Milan, Italy, now a very popular brand of high fashion. And in 1982, we had Eye of the Tiger by the Chicago band Survivor uh, hit number one on the Billboard pop charts. It actually is an original song from the movie Rocky III and has since been able to stand alone to a point of where... People my age um, probably don't know, uh, because I didn't know until today, that it's actually a movie from a soundtrack and not just like a regular song, or sorry, a song from a soundtrack and not just a song from like a regular album. Did not know that that song was written explicitly for that movie, and it was, and not only did it last six weeks as number one on the Billboard Pop Charts, but also Survivor also won a Grammy for Best Rock Performance. Moving into our first topic for the day, we're going to talk about uh, the newly released quote-unquote live-action version of The Lion King. Um, Let's start with the quote-unquote live-action. So we talked about Aladdin on this podcast already, and Disney has lots of plans going forward to continue to remake its uh, Disney classics. There's a line of movies that are considered Disney classics, and they've started doing remakes where they have had these movies be live action. Uh, We had Aladdin that happened recently that we talked about, like I said, and then we also had The Jungle Book, which this was actually the second live action Jungle Book. A lot of people don't remember the live action Jungle Book uh, from the 90s, but they had a most recent one that came out a couple years ago. And we also had Dumbo that came out last year. And so this has been a trend where Disney has been taking movies that have already done really well and remaking them, and they're doing really well again. A lot of it is because you have a new wave of children, but you also have all of the people who those original movies were targeted towards in the late 80s and early 90s um, are now adults who are excited to see those movies again because they grew up loving those movies, and a lot of them have children that are of that same age that they were when the movies first came out. So they get to share this as a new experience with their children while re-experiencing a pleasant memory from their childhood. However, the 
Lion King is interesting because there are no people in it. Um, much like the Jungle Book, where you have one main character in the Jungle Book, he was human, and then they use CGI for all of the animal characters. In The Lion King, because there are no humans, all of it is CGI. So to call it live action is not actually accurate because it's all animated with computers and the CGI technology. However, live action in this case means... I guess more realistic animation would be a better way to frame it, where it doesn't have the classic hand-drawn cartoon animation that we think about when you say animation, and it doesn't even have the new age CGI that is still kind of in the vein of the old-school hand-drawn cartoon animation, where this is CGI for the purpose of being able to control the characters and have them do whatever you want, but it is made to look as realistic as possible. And I recently went to the Milwaukee County Zoo, and after going there and then watching this movie, seeing the animation and the way they animated the lions and the other various animals within the movie, it was pretty scary how technology has advanced and how realistic we are able to make things look, all while having them have this feel where this is supposed to be lighthearted and for children. Uh, with that being said, we're going to get into some numbers. Um, it didn't do that well with the critics. The Rotten, Tom Rotten Tomatoes, uh, which is a website that does movie critiques, gave it a score of 52%. Um, but very differently, the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes was actually 89%. Uh, and before we get into my opinion of the movie, we'll also get into how it did at the box office. In the opening weekend, it made $185 million dollars. Um, and the, the producers at Disney were only expecting it to make about $150 million, so it did quite a bit better. And then over the first 10 days, it made $531 million, so a really good opening for The Lion King. I went in hoping that it would be a shot-for-shot -shot remake, all the lines exactly the same, everything exactly the same as the original Lion King with better animation. That was a hope. It was a prayer. I didn't actually think that it would be like that. As we've seen, these movies are a little bit longer. Things change slightly. Uh, Beauty and the Beast was one that they remade, and they added a song from the Broadway version. Aladdin added a couple extra songs uh, to make the movie a little bit different. And Lion King, much in the same vein, um, did that. There were some things that were slightly different because you had different people uh, doing the voice acting outside of Mufasa, who was, again, played by James Earl Jones. And most people who saw and loved the original agreed that no one else could do, could, no one else could play that character except for James Earl Jones. So we were very happy to see him come back. But everybody else was somebody different, which meant voice inflections and the way that they said the lines was going to be very different. And for the most part, I thought they did a phenomenal job with the casting. I thought the young Simba and young Nala sounded very similar to the original characters, and the expressions and the emotion of the characters uh, felt accurate, and it felt like it went with what the story was doing. Having Beyonce as old Nala was kind of cool because she got to sing. Other than that, 
the character felt pretty good. And then having Donald Glover, also known as Childish Gambino, play old Simba was really cool just to have him uh, for a lot of us, especially me, who's a huge fan. But also, I thought he did a very good job. I thought the casting of Timon and Pumbaa was absolutely perfect and so on and so forth. We could go through this. All of the characters were very well acted and voiced. There were some slight changes in how the story played out. Story was exactly the same. Uh, so people going in going, oh, my God, it's so different. I don't know what they saw that was so different. The story was exactly the same. Were there some, th- some things that were slightly different? Sure. The really fun part where Rafiki hits them in the head with the stick and goes, oh, does it hurt? And he was like, yeah. He was like, well, you can't do anything about it. It's in the past. The past in the past. It's a very funny scene. That scene's gone, unfortunately. My favorite song from the movie is uh, when Scar sings Be Prepared with the Hyenas before he plots to kill Mufasa. And you can say this is a spoiler alert, but the original movie came out in the 90s. So if you don't know what happens by now, that's not my problem. Um, That song is reduced to a 30-second motivational speech, and so I was very disappointed in that because I love that song, but that was something very personal. All in all, it was a very good remake. People have said that smaller children don't enjoy it as much because you're missing some of the bright colors that you get from traditional animation, which I would agree with. And the storyline is a bit more for kids who are like 10, 11, 12, 13 versus like four, five, six, and seven, because uh, it is more of a complicated storyline and it's kind of about, about pride and shame and remembering who you are through adversity and doing what you're supposed to do and all of those things are slightly more advanced uh, story tropes. Um, But I think if you take children, children can still enjoy it. The music is still really good. And the movie was actually very enjoyable. So I would say if you have children who are not smaller and are in that like 8 to 12 range, they're really going to enjoy it. If you were a 90s kid or even an early 2000s kid who really enjoyed the original movie, Go see it because it's really cool to experience some of those same same emotions we experienced as children. And all in all, I agree with the audience score of 89%. Not perfect by any means, but really enjoyable and definitely at least, at least a B plus as far as movies go. Staying in the vein of movies and Disney for that matter. Uh, we had Marvel have a huge weekend this past weekend. So those of us who are into comic books and comic book movies and comic book television shows and all of those other things, San Diego Comic-Con is the largest comic book convention in the country. I'm not sure where it ranks in the world, but I'm sure it's pretty high. Um, But it's really, really important for those of us who follow any forms of comic book entertainment because most major announcements happen at San Diego Comic-Con, whether it be related to television products, movie products, actual comic book products, whatever. All of these different companies who are participating in this form of entertainment use San Diego Comic-Con every year as a way to make announcements about things that are upcoming, changes, Uh, in things that are happening, whether it's changes in storylines, changes in characters, changes in management, whatever it is. Generally, you find out at San Diego Comic-Con. So this weekend, for a lot of us, whether we were attending or not, is something that we were paying attention to through various forms of social media. And social media is awesome now because those of us who aren't there can watch Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and wait for lay people who are attending as well as people who work for various websites and news outlets to let us know what's happening and we don't have to wait. 
as long as we used to have to wait to see what new and upcoming projects were happening. So for those of you who are into the Marvel Universe, that's what this next segment is going to be about. It's going to be all of the major Marvel uni- the Mar- Marvel Universe announcements. So comic book announcements I'm going to leave out because I know that's a very niche audience and those people probably already know those things. But to those people who are not necessarily comic book fans but do enjoy the Marvel movies, I have a list of the announcements of what we can look forward to for... Marvel's Phase 4, considering that Phase 3 just ended with Spider-Man Far From Home. And Spider-Man Far From Home also kind of served as the launching pad for Phase 4 as well. So for the rest of this year, we're going to have not anything happen. It's going to be, you know, we had Endgame, we had Far From Home, and that's going to sustain us for another year. But coming May 1st of 2020, Black Widow is finally going to get a solo movie. Now, I know that those of us who saw Endgame know that her character has died, and so a lot of people were asking when there were talks of a Black Widow movie happening, how is that possible? She died, blah, 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 blah. Despite the death of the character, what they decided to do is have the movie take place after Captain America Civil War. So for those of you who have seen those really cool posts about the correct way to watch the Marvel movies in chronological order, this is one where we'll have to go back and insert it after Civil War, and it's going to carry on the things that happened in that storyline after the Avengers have split, uh, before we've really started fighting Thanos. So it'll be really interesting to see what they do with that. And then fall of next year, uh, we will be able to look forward to The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which will be a series on Disney+. Plus. Disney+, Plus is the streaming service that Disney is going to release this fall, and it will be comprised of all the Disney products. We've talked about it on another podcast previously, and they're also, they've also advertised that the MCU movies will be on there as well, and then we will have some series developed strictly for Disney+. Plus. So we will have the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. There hasn't been any word yet on what where in the timeline it takes place, if during this time Falcon will still be Falcon or if he will be Captain America by then, but we know that we will get the adventures of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, where we will have Sebastian Stan reprising his role as a Winter Soldier and Anthony Mackie reprising his role as Falcon. I'm really excited for it. I'm hoping that it's before he really takes up the mantle of Captain America, so those people who don't really know much about Falcon can see how awesome of a character he is. The MCU hasn't really done a great job of capturing his character for the intelligence that he has, Uh, while in the comic books he, and some of the shows as well, he was a pupil of Captain America. He also is a pupil of Iron Man because he is incredibly smart and created his own Falcon suit that is similar to uh, the suits that Iron Man has created. So I'm wondering if they're going to expand on that, which would be really awesome. And going forward, uh, maybe have it bleed into the storyline where he becomes Captain America and we can really see what he does with that role. Uh, November 6th of 2020, so still in that late fall time, we will have an Eternals movie. And the Eternals is a line of comics that is... Not very well known in the same way that Guardians of the Galaxy prior to the movies being released was also not well known. And it's going to be really interesting to see how they do this because what Marvel has tried to do is not only use those A-list names uh, such as Spider-Man, but they've also 
been able to take names that people are not really familiar with, which they partially had to do because they had sold some of their major products, uh, like Spider-Man previously and the X-Men, to keep the comic books afloat. Uh, They've been able to take some of their B-list and sometimes even C-list heroes and make them beloved. And so it'll be really interesting to see what they do with Eternals. And it's also an opportunity for them to get some bigger names into roles. So we'll have plenty of actors, but some of the more well-known ones will include Angelina Jolie, Salma Hayek, and Kumail Nanjiani. So I'm really excited to see what they do with this. Eternals is really funny and really awesome, and then they've got some really good actors. So it'll be really cool to see how they go forward, and that will be part of the canon MCU. Moving on to the spring, late winter, early spring of 2021, on February 12th, we'll have the release of Shanghai and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Uh, This will be the Marvel Cinematic Universe's first Asian-American hero of any kind, and I'm really pleased, as Disney has been doing lately, with proper casting in terms of race, where you have a movie about a Chinese character, and the actor playing him is Chinese-Canadian Simu Liu, and they've actually changed the villain from Fu Manchu, who was Shanghai's dad, and was kind of seen as a racist trope because of when it was written, and they've decided to use the Mandarin instead, and the Mandarin is one of the Iron Man villains that we've seen in a television show that Disney did, and then he was briefly mentioned in Iron Man 2. So it'll be really interesting to see how they do this, but I think the coolest part of this project is that if you Google Shanghai, and then it'll come up in The Legend of the Ten Rings, and then you type in cast, everybody that pops up for like the first 12 people on the Google Images is all of Asian descent. So it's really nice to see that Disney is again making that effort to make sure that they are staying at least regionally accurate with the actors that they are casting. In the spring of 2021, we have WandaVision, uh, where we will have Scarlet Witch, uh, whose name is actually Wanda, and Vision, who was the artificial intelligence creature that was created, who ended up dying when Thanos took the Infinity Stone that was powering his brain. And if those of us who have seen the movies know that Wanda and Vision were in a relationship, and that is something that also existed in the comics, and we're not quite sure how they're going to bring Vision back, if it's going to take place before he dies, but we'll get a really interesting show about them. And the only tease that I saw was that we'll finally figure out why Wanda is called the Scarlet Witch. On May 7th of 2021, we will have the next Doctor Strange movie. It'll be Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. And we'll have Benedict Cumberbatch, Benedict Cumberbatch coming back as Doctor Strange. That'll be really awesome. Doctor Strange, the first movie, was really enjoyable, also very popular. So we be really cool to see what they do with that. Spring 2021, a very, very popular character is coming back. We will have a Loki series with Tom Hiddleston. And there have been some speculations about what timeline this is going to cover. I'm not sure yet. I don't know that I believe any of the speculations enough to say them on a podcast. But it'll be really cool. Loki's been really popular. He's been very well done in the movies. And for those people who love Tom Hiddleston, they'll get to have an entire series with him. Later that summer, we'll have probably what I'm most excited about. We'll have Marvel's What If, which will be a series on Disney Plus as well. All of these series, by the way, will be on Disney Plus. No, they're not paying for this ad, but I'm really excited for it regardless. Um, And What If is going to be a series where we'll have The Watcher, who is a Marvel character who is not necessarily a superhero, but he is one of those higher power beings that Marvel likes to use 
who simply watches, hence the name The Watcher, what's going on and doesn't really like intervene or anything. But Deadpool, being a character who breaks the fourth wall all the time, whenever The Watcher pops up in his comics goes, uh-oh, something really important is about to happen because The Watcher showed up. And so what the series is going to be, for those of you who like to create your own alternate endings and fans who like to write fan fiction, this is definitely the show for you. What If is going to be animated, from what I can gather, and it's going to show what would happen if certain really important things that happened in the MCU maybe ended a little bit differently, and then see how the pl- stories would play out. So if people made different decisions, maybe somebody different died, maybe a villain didn't die, what have you, we'll get to see. Hopefully it'll be based on what some of the creators of Marvel had originally considered, and then they ultimately landed where they landed. But we'll get to see some of those original ideas. Nobody really knows where these ideas are coming from, if they're original ideas, if they're coming from ideas that they decided not to use, but all we know is that what if is going to show us, oh my god, this person died, what if they didn't? Oh my god, this villain didn't necessarily have to be a villain. We'll get to have a lot of fun with what happens. The last two things we have, and then there's a huge announcement that they made, fall of 2021 we'll have a Hawkeye series with Jeremy Renner reprising his role as Hawkeye, the beloved marksman. And not really sure what's happening with that one, with it being fall 2021 and being a year and a half away. Uh, We're not really almost two years away. We're not sure much about it outside of the fact that Jeremy Renner would be doing it. And in really, really popular applause and lots of tweets and Instagram posts about this one, November 5th of 2021, we get Thor 4, Love and Thunder. However, big news on this one. Thor is changing. We will have the Mighty Thor, which for those of you who are familiar with comic books know the Mighty Thor is actually female. Uh, And a lot of people have been calling her Lady Thor and Marvel came out and said, hey guys, can we please stop calling her Lady Thor? She's actually called the Mighty Thor. And Natalie Portman will be coming back to play the role of Jane and Jane is actually the Mighty Thor. And in a bit of representation news, Valkyrie, the character played by Tessa Thompson, who was bi in the comic books, has been confirmed by Tessa Thompson to be bi in the MCU as well and will be looking for a queen as she is now the king of Asgard. So that'll be really fun to see how that plays out. We get double representation in that movie with a major character with superpowers being female, and then we get some LGBTQ IA plus, I think I got all of it, uh, representation with Valkyrie being by just as she is in the comics. And the announcement that I'm the most excited for, we don't have a date, we don't have a plot, we don't have a script, we don't have a villain, but Blade is coming back. And people who are old comic book movie fans know that Blade is the trilogy, because there were three of them, that launched the Marvel Cinematic Universe and really proved that you can take comic books and turn them into movies and they don't have to be for children and adults can enjoy them and the storyline can be carried with phenomenal actors and it was absolutely awesome. And Blade's coming back. They're going to do at least one, hopefully a series, of Blade movies with Mahershala Ali playing Blade, who was classically played by Wesley Snipes in the original movies. Lots of people were complaining that Wesley Snipes was not coming back to play Blade again, failing to understand that Wesley Snipes is now, like, 60, 
and hasn't really acted that much. And also Mahershala Ali, phenomenal actor, also kind of resembles him a bit. So it won't be that far-fetched to picture Mahershala Ali in the character of Blade. If you've seen him in a lot of movies, he plays darker characters, and Blade is absolutely that, considering that he is a day-walking vampire. I think he's absolutely perfect for it. I also am very partial to his acting in the movies that he's done. But this is super, super exciting. We get, again, more representation, where we have one of the classic black characters getting his own movies and one of the most popular characters of recent time and the first major Marvel success in movies with Blade coming back. We'll be right back after the break. All right, for this next story, we have some really interesting and pretty sad things happening in Pennsylvania in regards to school lunch debts. A Pennsylvania school district sent letters to parents threatening to send their children to foster care over unpaid lunch debts. So the letters actually read, your child, sorry, quote, your child has been sent to school every day without money and without breakfast and or lunch. The letter went on to say, this is a failure to provide your child with proper nutrition and you can be sent to dependency court for neglecting your child's right to food. Later on in the letter, they said that the child would be at risk of being placed in foster care if the parents go to court. It asked parents to pay the debt in order to avoid being reported to authorities. This is interesting to me because I understand that schools oftentimes need the money for lunch for whatever reason. It's not included in the budget, all those things. But I think threatening to send people's children to foster care is a bit extreme. And it gets a lot worse when you read on and read more about the news and see that Todd Carmichael, co-founder and CEO of Philadelphia-based Lacombe Coffee, offered to give the Wyoming Valley West School District which I know it says Wyoming Valley, but it is in Pennsylvania, offered to give them $22,000 to cover the lunch debts that led to the school sending the letter. School board president, Joseph Mazur, rejected the offer during a phone conversation. Platt, who is a spokesperson for Todd Carmichael, said Mazur said, the parents who owe the money can afford to pay it and it should not be covered by Carmichael. I don't think that if parents could afford to pay the lunch debts, that they would just refuse to pay them. I also don't think that parents who could afford to pay for lunch or send their kids to school with lunch would be sending the kids to school empty-handed, just hoping that the school would give them lunch. Generally speaking, parents want to care for their kids and will do the things necessary to care for their kids including providing them either lunches from home or money to buy lunch. So I would say it is safe to assume that if the parents are not sending the kids to school with lunches and or giving them money for lunch, that they probably can't afford it. And considering that poverty in this country is not just the line that people like to say it is, but 
also has varying degrees based on how many people are in your family, what's happened recently, and understanding that just being above the poverty line doesn't mean that you're not still actually poor, that these parents probably can't afford it. Furthermore, if somebody's offering to pay it, just take the money. Why would you be so bent on punishing these parents who are probably doing the best that they can and forcing them to pay money when somebody is willing to give it to you. That just makes absolutely no sense to me. So this is a really, really sad story. Uh, The school district has been asked to resend the letters without threatening the parents to go to court and send their kids to foster care, and they've complied with that, which is really nice. But overall, we still have a school district who has refused the money, and seems to have their priorities um, just kind of out of whack, where if you're a school district, it's supposed to be about the kids. And I think this speaks to a larger issue that we have in this country where education has become privatized in a lot of situations and is not being treated as a right as it is supposed to be and has been treated more as we will give you some education as your right but you don't have the right to a good education necessarily. And that is a larger problem where you have private schools that obviously funding is very important. So private schools having access to more funding means their kids can maybe have better opportunities to see certain things or learn from certain people or hear from certain people. But lack of money in the home should not have as adverse an effect on the child's education as it does. And I think a huge part of this issue is that education is not standardized federally and is instead a state's issue. And so then you have numerous different people deciding how 50 sets of students are going to learn. And what this has done is made some states have a huge advantage while other states have a huge disadvantage. And oftentimes, states that have major metropolitan areas, the kids in those areas have a major disadvantage. And a lot of it comes from the fact that states are responsible for their own funding for education, and they've kind of fumbled with that when needing to fund other things. And the federal government has just completely taken their hands off of it. So lack of standardization means that a lot of the funding for education is also minimal from the federal side. And so states who aren't doing as well for whatever reason, for example, Illinois, where we just can't get a governor who can manage to stay out of trouble has been an issue, has led to our schools not being as good as like our neighbors to the West, Iowa, where the schools are phenomenal. And some of this has to do with the money that the states have. It has to do with the standards that the teachers have to meet when they are applying for licensure. There are all kinds of issues that happen. And when you take something like this where, as a country, we're supposed to be this great world power and our education system is differing based on states, which means we have a lower number of people who will be able to accomplish these great things that we should be accomplishing as a nation, it shows that something about education needs to be done and the current state of it is not good enough. We currently have a secretary of education whose children have always been in private school, so she doesn't understand a lot of the needs that public school parents have, whether those needs are based on their socioeconomic status or just the state of the schools. 
when you have someone who has no experience in those things and seems to not be willing to listen to people who do, it puts you in a situation where you you just have kids who are not being served properly. As someone who works in schools, I see time and time again that there are so many ways that we could be helping these kids, and there is so much red tape and so many rules about how to do it, and schools' motivations are all crossed because while George Bush is no longer in office, when he put in No Child Left Behind and changed funding to be based on test scores of math and science, what happened is schools who performed well got lots of money, schools who didn't, didn't. And also the focus of schools completely changed, where if I'm a principal and I know that a large portion of my funding is going to be based on the standardized test scores that my students receive, and those test scores are math and reading, then that means I'm going to not focus as much on things like history and science and music and gym and art, because those aren't the things that are going to get me money. For things like music and art, I won't even have money for those if my kids are not performing in math and science. And so what it is meant is that students are not having the same well-rounded education that people over the age of 25 had because the schools have to do what they have to do to survive. Now, if you can afford to send your kid to a private school, then they don't have to worry about those things because they're going to have enough funding regardless of whatever public funding they get. But if you're like the majority of the country and you're sending your kid to a public school, if that school is underperforming in any way, your student is probably going to have less exposure in things that are not math and are not English. And with technology being the wave of the future, the fact that we're focusing less on science feels like an opposite problem. I, like I said, work with kids, and I work with middle school kids at the moment, and the amount of kids who know little to nothing about the solar system is absolutely astounding to me. Where when I was growing up in elementary school, we had to memorize all of the planets, which at the time there were nine, so we went Mercury through Pluto, and most kids by the age of 11 could rattle them off. And the more advanced kids could tell you some of the moons that some of them had, they could talk about the asteroid belt, the inner planets, the outer planets, the different atmospheric makeups and all of those things. We've reached a point where our kids today can't even name the planets. I am currently running a summer camp with like 25 kids, and we asked them all, since we're going to the planetarium next week for our field trip, if they could name a planet, like literally just name a planet. And so obviously they all got Earth. Uh, most of them said Mars, a couple of them maybe said Mercury, Venus, and one said Uranus. And that was it. Between them, they could not collectively name what's now only eight planets. And then I think one kid actually mentioned Pluto. So it's a very, very different time. And these kids are 12, 13, 14, some of them almost 15. So it's really sad to see that our education system has changed so drastically. And we started taking away some of the more fun, more creative avenues that children have to learn, including things like technology and space and history and art and music. So we need to change that, and we also need to stop threatening to take people's kids away just because they haven't paid the $2 a day for lunch. Moving on to our story for tech, I think it was a few weeks ago we did our first tech story on the podcast, and I really enjoyed it and thought that tech news is something that's really interesting because it's always going to be very current. 
Um, and a lot of it is going to be dealing with things that are happening in social media or things that are happening that people should know about. And we are already inundated with our very traditional sources of news where you have your political news, maybe your historical news, some sports news, some lifestyle pieces. But now we have this entire industry of just tech news. So I think one of the things I'm going to try to do is have a tech story on every podcast. Obviously, week to week, we might not have interesting and or important things happening in tech or things that are easy to talk about in five to ten minutes. But every week that we can, I will try to have a tech story. So this week's tech story is about the Face app. And for those of you who don't know, it means that you obviously don't have social media. The Face app is an app where you can apply filters to pictures of people to do varying forms of editing. And many people have been using the Face app because there has been this aging challenge. And what you do is you take a picture of yourself or a friend or whatever, and there's a filter that you can use where they will use some editing technology to show what you will look like once you have reached senior citizen status. It was very popular on both Facebook and Instagram. I don't really use Twitter that often, so I'm not sure if it was also popular on there as well. But I know that social media was littered with people and pictures of themselves as uh, older people. However, what people don't realize is using the Face app is really, really dangerous for privacy things. And it has recently come out that, hey, you probably should have checked the terms of agreement before you started using the Face app. So the terms and conditions for the Face app state, users grant Face app a quote, perpetual, irrevocable, non-exclusive, royalty-free, worldwide, fully paid, transferable, sub-licensable, license to use, reproduce, sorry, reproduce, create derivative works from, and display your user content and any name, username, or likeness provided in connection with your user consent in all media formats and channels now known or later developed without compensation to you. I know it's a lot of legal words, but we did have a Silicon Valley lawyer, Elizabeth Potts Weinstein, who broke it down like this very simply. If you use FaceApp, you are giving them a license to use your photos, your name, your username, and your likeness for any purpose, including commercial purposes, like on a billboard or internet ad. And at the end, they in the middle, they said royalty-free, and at the end, it very explicitly says, without compensation to you. It also says channels now known or later developed, meaning we may have new forms of media that happen, and they can still use it for that, and they don't have to pay you. Now, we did talk about college athletes being paid earlier in the podcast, a few podcasts ago, and... Part of them not being paid was not having their likenesses be accounted for as them. And this is why we no longer have video games uh, that include NCAA basketball players and NCAA football players because the players argued, that's our likeness. You're using my likeness. I'm number 15 and I'm the starting quarterback for Florida. And the starting quarterback for Florida, although it doesn't say my name, says quarterback number 15. His height and weight is the same as mine and his ratings are similar to my style of play. And as a result of the amateur laws stating that athletes that are in college cannot be paid, video game creators had to stop making the games because they could not choose to pay the players for their likenesses in the games. 
However, if you use the Face app, you have none of those things. Once you download it, click yes, I agree, your username, your actual name, any data that you give them, including your face, they can do whatever they want with it. They can sell it to whoever they want. They can use it for any ads that they choose to. They can sell it to someone else to use for ads. So your face can be used to advertise something that you completely disagree with. If FaceApp decided to support a Republican president and you are absolutely liberal, they can use your face to say America wants this person to be president. And there's absolutely nothing you can do about it because you agreed to give them your likeness. Not only are they using your face to represent and promote something that you disagree with, but you are also not being paid for it. Now, I am one of those people who does not read the terms and terms of agreement and all of those things when you download an app because they're so long and the print is incredibly small and most of it we don't really understand what it means anyway. However, I am incredibly happy that I am one of the few people who did not download the Face app and use it to create a filter of me looking like an old person. And this is also a lesson for me to at least try to skim through it. And if I see anything that looks interesting, maybe look for some buzzwords like compensation, royalty-free, data sharing, things like that, to try to see, is this something where I am allowing them to use my information and data for something that I later would not want them to use it for? So congratulations to the five people who didn't do the aging challenge. And for the people who did, I really, really hope you're one of the lucky people who your information and your face doesn't actually get used for anything. But wait, there's more. Hang on to your seat, baby, because this one's a screamer. For this week's But Wait, There's More, we're going to talk about these super obscure, quote unquote, holidays. So for those of you who haven't figured it out through social media or some other platform, today, July 24th, is National Tequila Day. And for most of us, that means going to a restaurant and having margaritas or having some friends over and having margaritas. But whatever it means for you, that is today. What I actually want to talk about, though, is how obscure this has gotten. We now have National Brother Day, National Sister Day, National Puppy Day, National Cat Day. Separate from National Puppy Day, also National Dog Day. It seems as though there has been an arbitrary day created to celebrate everything. And while I think certain things should be celebrated, it's fun to have a National Tequila Day. It's a fun excuse to go out with your friends and have some drinks in the summer. Um, It's an excuse to give people pictures of your dogs all over social media and your cats and your children and your car or whatever else day it is. However, can we not make a huge deal of it? I understand that people love dogs and on National Puppy Day, everybody wants to do a picture of their puppy. I get it. However, most people who have dogs are consistently posting pictures of their dogs anyway, so you don't really need a day for it. I know that people like to celebrate things. It's a very American thing. We kind of try to celebrate everything. I get it. It's cool. However, let's just not make a big deal out of it. If I'm the one person who doesn't celebrate National Tequila Day or I have a dog and I don't post a picture of my dog, who cares? It's not a big deal. If you want to celebrate those days, congratulations. More power to you. 
but let's not make it a big deal, try to force other people to do it, make fun of people who don't do it, make fun of people who can't do it, all of those things. If we want to use these days for something positive and to make yourself feel better and be a distraction from a lot of the negative things that are happening in the world, let's do it. I'm all for it. Woohoo, have a margarita. Let's just make sure that when we're celebrating these things, we are not also, A, actually forgetting what's happening, and B, making people feel guilty who can or who can't or refuse to celebrate these arbitrary days that actually mean nothing in the first place, have no major place in history. Most of us can't even identify why they picked that day for it to be that specific quote-unquote holiday. Just understand that it's fun, it's light, but at the end of the day, it's arbitrary. That's all I've got for this week. Thanks so much for listening and your continued support. As always, if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, subscribe, rate, review, five stars, please. If it's not going to be five stars, instead of rating, just DM me on Twitter or Instagram. On Twitter, you can find me at dubr1617 and at Instagram at dubr16. Uh, lastly, I do also want to say, and I completely forgot to mention this, um, that this past Sunday, we had, we being Chicago, had our women's soccer team, the Chicago Red Stars, set their attendance record for the franchise. Uh, we talked about the National Women's Soccer League with Fran, our Women's World Cup correspondent, last week. And the soccer game that I'm pretty sure we mentioned on the podcast was absolutely huge. We had over 17,000 people show up. Uh, the men's uh, MLS team, Major League Soccer, uh, plays in the same stadium, and their highest attendance this year is just over 15,000. So we beat them by 2,000, which is really awesome. Uh, there were a ton of U.S. Women's National Team players. A ton of people showed up. It's really awesome. As we said last week, support your local NWSL team. Uh, this game was actually televised on ESPN, so if you can't get to a game because you live in one of the many states that doesn't have a team, look up the schedule, watch it on television. We all fell in love with these women while they were playing soccer in France. There's no reason that we can't also support all 23 of them on their clubs here. Again, subscribe, rate, review, follow the podcast. Please leave some reviews. I've had three so far, and this is now episode eight and the ninth recording of the podcast. So some new reviews would be really fun. Um, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can review. If you're listening on SoundCloud, you can also review the specific episodes. So leave me a review. If I get something interesting or funny, I'll definitely read it. Thanks again for listening. Enjoy your week and later days. Mm-hmm.